as I already mentioned, you can see Pastor and Sister Mayo are gone. They're ministering somewhere else, so let's make sure we keep them in our prayers. But they left us, like Brother Gazande said, in good hands. Brother Prado is here. Hallelujah. One more time, let's put our hands together unto the Lord as Brother Prado comes in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus a great big hand clap of praise. Oh, come on. Let's magnify the Lord together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we love you. God, we praise you. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless all of you. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Psalms, the 34th Psalm. And as you're turning there, let me say what an honor and a privilege it is to be before God's people. And... uh, counted a double honor that your pastor would allow me to be here while he's not. My wife was with Sister Mayo yesterday. Um, my, uh, my wife was also traveling and she was able to spend time with the Mayos. So thank God for that. They're safe. Praise God. Amen. Uh, praise God. So, um, but you got to appreciate the ministry. Amen. And uh, this last night when I arrived into Spokane, I felt this word on my heart, and uh, myself now pastoring, I could tell you that uh, this is something that I'd want to hear preached in my church, and so I want to try to help you, number one, and support your pastor, uh, number two. We are living in the last days, and uh, this world is losing its bearings, but the church doesn't need to be on the same course. We have a different trajectory, and uh, we have to stay anchored. We have to stay anchored, and uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about those things today, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. The parking lot is full, and uh, that's that's a that's a good thing. I don't know how everyone's going to fit here for summit, praise God, but uh, uh, somehow we'll get them in. But uh, I will say this that. I somewhat doubted what I had to preach, but uh, when I saw the parking lot full, I thought, you know what, this is this is exactly the perfect time to preach. Uh, it's a bit of an in-house message, but uh, I'll try to find some opportunities to minister to all that are here. All right, book of Psalms, chapter 34, song number 34, verse number 3. <coughs> Everyone say amen when they're there very familiar psalm simply says oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together everyone say together and for a few moments I want to talk to you on this subject assembly required assembly required can we say that together assembly Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence, for your power, and for your spirit. God, we thank you that we've been able to gather here together and to worship you and to magnify you and to give you all the glory. God, I pray that you would use me today to minister to your people. God, they're a precious people. Your name is invoked over them. Your blessings surround them. Lord, use me, God, to edify, to encourage, and to preach with grace. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise.
Shake your neighbor's hand, give them a great big God bless you, and you may be seated. It's very easy to take for granted some of the liberties that we have here in the United States. In some cases, they are unique to the United States. But if this is all you've ever known, uh, it's, you're susceptible to not appreciating it. And one of the things that we practice here in the United States, it's embedded into our civil rights, is the liberty to assemble, to gather. One of the symptoms of a free society even those outside of the United States, you will notice that one of the first things they do is that they grant their citizenry the right to gather and to assemble. Conversely, if you ever go to a country, and I've been to them, where the people are oppressed or they're run by some despot or dictator, one of the first things that the people are not allowed to do is to gather and assemble. Because something powerful happens when people get together. Ideas are interchanged and uh, motivations are made and decisions are made and action takes place. People getting together is a very powerful thing. It really, really is. When we look at the scripture as both a spiritual and a historical document, we can see that this idea of coming together and assembly Uh, shows up at the very forefront of the text repeatedly. Perhaps one of the most well-known stories is that of the Exodus, where the children of Israel are trying to get out of Egypt um, by way of God's decree and and Pharaoh's resistance. But Moses approaches Pharaoh, and he specifically tells him that he should release the children of Israel. Number one, because they are not his. And when Moses tells Pharaoh this, he speaks on the behalf of God. And he says, let my people go. They are not your property. They are God's property. And they are no longer going to be under bondage. And one of the first things that Moses wants to be exercised, or that God wants to be exercised, is the freedom of assembly. He says, let us go that we may worship God, that we may worship Yahweh in the wilderness. We want to be released from these confines. We want to be set free from these chains. And the first thing we want to do as a free people is get together and worship God. A little, nest, a little lesser known story, unless you're a, uh, you've been in church sometime, is the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Both of these men were exiles and they were living in other countries that had come to rule the then known world at the time. And both men uh, were very high up in the leadership of their countries. And both men um, are granted uh, an audience with the, uh, the, the leader of their country and they make a single request of that leader that that leader let them go and return to Jerusalem that they may worship God there. So they request 
liberty for the purpose of assembly. Liberty and assembly come hand in hand, both spiritually and historically. Now, these, of course, are literal renderings of the human struggle for freedom and the right to assemble. However, the Bible is replete with examples where people were emotionally, spiritually, psychologically held captive. And when they were released, the first thing they did was gather and assemble with other people. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, Jesus gives three parables. They are really all saying the same thing. And when I go down the list of these parables, you will recognize them. But the first two parables are about a man and a woman. The man, amen, loses a sheep. The woman loses a coin. Both the man and the woman, amen, find the sheep and the lost coin. But Jesus says that when they finally found these lost articles and they were finally released from the burden of having lost something, because you know when you lose something, you feel like you can't do anything all day. Losing stuff kind of holds you captive. Somebody say amen. I know somebody probably lost their keys this morning and you literally couldn't leave. Hallelujah. Praise God. But you know how it is when you lose something. You just, you have no rest. You feel uneasy. You feel uncomfortable. You feel held captive. But both this woman and this man, when they found their coin and they found their sheep, they did not just shout in their house, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. They took that coin. They took that sheep. They went outside of their uh, normal surroundings and they began to call their friends. And they said, come assemble with us. We have found that which is lost. We have found that which was captive. We ourselves are now free and out from under this feeling. Amen. Let us rejoice together. And they called for an assembly. And somebody say amen. The last parable is perhaps one of the most well-known parables of all. And it is that of a man who has a lost son. This man does his best, from what we can tell, to run a responsible household. He takes care of all of his bills, saves up all the money, does what's right. And one day his oldest son approaches him and says, I want out of this house. I want out of this household. I want out of this circumstance. And he says, I want you to give me half of my inheritance. And to his surprise, his father lets him know, amen, it is your inheritance. The half of what I have is yours. It's not mine. You don't get it. I have not been saving this and storing this up for me. It's always been yours. And because it's yours, you can have it. Because here, you're free. You're even free to do the wrong thing. And I'm going somewhere with all of this. But let me give everybody here a Christian pro tip. If you are in the right church, you're going to discover that you're going to have a lot of liberties. You're going to have a lot of freedoms granted to you by God. And one of those liberties and one of those freedoms, it's a bridge we're all going to have to cross, is whether we really want to be in church or not. Because believe it or not, there will not be an angel at the door to stop you. Pastor, amen, may call you. And the staff here may reach out to you. But there'll come a certain point where it really is up to you. It's all on you. You're going to have to do what's right with your freedom. You're going to have to do what's right with your liberty. You're going to have to... (laughs) 
Come on, let's magnify Jesus here. He gives him the half of his inheritance. The young man takes off. The Bible says he goes into a far country with all this money. Money that really, to some degree, he had never worked for, earned, or saved. And, as the Bible says, an inheritance gotten hastily just wastes. So what does he do? Well, first of all, he gets a bunch of friends. Isn't it amazing how many people want to hang out when you're doing good? Isn't it amazing, amen, the, the friendships that money can attract? <laughs> and so he's doing good. He's got a new car, new clothes, and he's in a far country. And his, his new friends begin to introduce him to new places to go, new things to do, new people to meet. And the next thing we hear, he is squandering his inheritance, not his father's, his inheritance on, the scripture called it riotous living. But then it gives us a detail of what that is. It's drunkenness, prostitution, illicitness. And little by little, sin starts creeping into his life. Day by day, Friendship by friendship, relationship by relationship, party after party. There's a new chain being tacked on. There's a new grip being placed. And although it didn't happen immediately, sin finally encroached on him and held him captive. And one of the results of that captivity was that he was left all by himself. When you are captive, when you are prisoner, you have no one to assemble with. You will be isolated, you will be kept away, you will be marginalized, you will be put in a corner. That is the effects of real bondage. Free people surround themselves with other people. Free people mingle. Free people assemble. Free people get together. And I don't, I don't really want to get into this too much, but I'm going to tell you this. Amen. You always know when somebody is creeping back into sin because they will stop wanting to assemble. They will stop wanting to get together. They will stop wanting to accept phone calls. They, I worry about anybody that isolates themselves. Hey, listen, I know what it is to be in the world. I know what it is to think you got a lot of friends. And just in case nobody's told you, those people on Facebook ain't your friends. Amen. They may be following you, but they ain't your friends. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about real folk. And I'll tell you what, sin will take you out from that. When you are in bondage, when you are being held captive. Oh, come on. Somebody help me preach right now. finds himself isolated. And then he remembers a time and a place where things were different. He remembers a time and a place 
He says to himself, the scripture says, he came to himself. He says to himself, things have not always been this way. He said, I am going to go back to my father's house. And the one thing he realizes immediately about his father's house is that people assemble over there. He says, my father's house is full of servants. There's a lot of people over there getting together. There's a lot of people over there heading in the same direction. There's a lot of people over there plowing in the same direction. There's a lot of people over there earning a living. There's a lot of people there, amen, not, not, not just squandering off, amen, their life with the pigs. There's a lot of people over there doing some good things. There's a lot of people over there keeping their homes together. There's a lot of people over there keeping their marriages together. There's a lot of people over there paying their bills. There's a lot of people over there making their more... He says, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go back to my father's house. And when he gets back to his father's house, we know the story. His dad grabs him, hugs him, embraces him, weeps over his neck. And his father says, my son, who is captive, is now free. And the first thing dad says is, let us assemble together. He says, strike up the band. Call the servants. The work day is over early. Amen. We're going to get together because we're a free people. I came to preach to you today, Cornerstone. If you're really free, you ought to be in here every time the doors are open. If you are really free, if you really believe that Jesus Christ has set you free of your sins, there should not be a church service you're missing. You should be looking forward to church, not looking away from church. You should be looking to come to the house of God, to wave your hands, to lift your voice, to shout. Amen. Oh, come on. Come on. Are you free? Are you living among the free people? Are you dancing among the free people? Are you shouting among I want to talk to you today just for a few moments, and I'm not going to preach long. I want to talk to you today about getting free and getting together. Amen. When you get free, you're going to want to get together. When you are really free, you're going to enjoy being here. If you, if, you know, I... I I know it seems probably odd to hear a church attendance message. And, uh, you know, a lot of visitors, and, and let me just say this, I know what it is to be a visitor on a pew. Most, most people that visit a church do not believe that they have to come regularly. And I, I don't blame you. We got, we got long-standing members that don't think they need to come regularly. <laughs> My question is, why would we not want to come together regularly? My question is, if... And I'm not, listen, I'm not, I, I, God bless America. This is not a patriotic uh, statement here. But I do want to make this statement. If free societies like America, if free societies put in their constitutions, one of the first things is that people ought to be allowed to come together. That must mean that it is fundamental and it is so important, amen, to human rights and the ability, amen, to exercise those rights should, should be something we all cherish. It should be something we all say, you know what, I'm going to move on that. I'm going to act. If this is... Before they wrote the right to bear arms, before they wrote the right of freedom of religion, before they wrote anything else, they said people should be allowed to come together under one roof and do what they got to do. And I don't know about you, but I got to worship Jesus. I don't know about you, but I got to be around people. Amen. I got to be around people that are free. I got to be around people that talk right, walk right, think right. Not because. 
Oh, come on, let's magnify Jesus. Hallelujah. And let me just say this. Amen. I, I, I use the word freedom and together in that specific order. Number one, because if you are not free, you're not going to want to get together. This is why it's so hard to get some people to come to church. Because they're not free. It's not that they're stubborn. It's not that your outreach cards don't look nice. It's not that you knocked on the wrong door. It's that you got folks that are in bondage. They're being held captive. They are prisoners, whether they know it or not. And let me tell you how you get free. You get free through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I said you get free through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. When Jesus sets you free. I'm telling you right now, when Jesus sets you free, it does not matter what country you live in, you will be assembling yourself. Because I've been to countries, I've been to communist countries, where people do not have the freedom of assembly, but they have Jesus. Uh, I've been to countries where the police stare through the windows of the church to make sure there's no funny business going on. Amen. But I'm telling you right now, when people get free, they don't care what laws they live under, they don't care who's in their presidential, amen, hallelujah, uh, uh, seat, amen, they are there to assemble, to worship God. They are answering to a higher government. They are answering to a different set of laws and systems. They... Come on. Come on, are you really free? Are you... Oh, let's magnify the Lord together. Number one, you have to repent. You've got to repent. You've got to tell God to forgive you of your sin. And, and, and if that offends you, listen, I woke up early this morning and I repented of my sin. Because the way you get saved is the way you stay saved. I still, I don't, I don't know if this is too old school for some folks. I still pray every day and every day I still ask God to forgive me of all of my sins and all the things I've done wrong. I still ask God, amen. I may be saved, but I'm not in heaven. And until I get to heaven, I got some things I got to wrestle down. I got some things I got to deal with. I got some things I have to confess. I got some things I got to talk to Jesus about. I got some flesh I need to get under subjection. I got some lust I need to take care of. I got some anger I need to take care of. I got some envy, jealousy, greed I need to take care of. I got some attitudes I got to take care of. I got... You ain't in heaven yet. Let's not act like we're in heaven. Come on, we're not there yet. All of us got some praying to do. All of us got some All of us got some turning to do. I got to die daily. I got to repent daily. I don't Come on, let's magnify Jesus. Come on, let's praise him right now.
Hey, I'm telling you right now, repentance works. Repentance works miracles. Repentance does amazing things. There are some of you here, you know that things would be so different in your life. Amen. If there was just a little bit more repentance in the situation. Some of you know your husband would be different if he would just repent. Your spouse would be different if they would just repent. Some of you know that your child could change if they would just repent. Some of you know that you would take on a great transformation if you would just repent. Let me tell you something. Repentance is something that God grants. Uh, Not only do we do it, we ask God to give it to us. We invite it into our life. We make a place for it. We don't. We don't tighten up when the preacher preaches about it. We don't tighten up when the song sings about it. We don't tighten up when there's mention of it. We respond to it. We welcome it because we know it is a gift from God to be able to make wrong of your right, to turn from your sin, to turn to him, to make... This is not part of my message, and I still have a little ways to go. But let me say this. If some of us were more accepting of the concept and the action of repentance, those around us would repent as well. Because let me tell you something. When someone runs into a repented person, they get the urge to repent too. There's just some. We have a, we have a girl in our church. She just started coming a few weeks ago. Amen. She, uh, she went on Instagram. She started showing videos of her pouring out alcohol dumping drugs. Amen. She said, she said, I just want everybody to know I'm not living that life no more. And there's not been a service. There's not been a service where she doesn't bring somebody with her to church. You know why? Because she's repented and she embraces it. And because she embraces it, other people want to be a part of it. Everybody want a little change in their life, but you can't have change without repentance. You can't have, you can't have transformation without repentance. Oh, come on, let's magnify the Lord. Listen, I'm no different than any of you. I don't like mean preaching. I, I, I think there's no place in the pulpit for mean, nasty, condescending, amen, preaching. But let me say this. I also don't want to go to a church where the pastor feels like he can't call out sin. I also don't want to be a congregant that would ever pose, amen, a spirit or project a spirit of, 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 of unacceptance, amen, to, to the spirit of repentance. I don't ever want to sit on a pew, amen, and project some sort of emotion like, preacher, don't you talk about that because I might leave. Preacher, you know what? If you keep getting that I might leave, you need to question your freedom status. You may not be as free as you think. You may not have as much liberty as you think because if you're ready to get up amen and stop assembling yourself it's probably because there's some chains in your life but if you would just make a little room in your life and make some space in your life for somebody to tell it how it is and for somebody to call it out and for somebody to talk to you come on that's how you got in the trouble you're in anyways because you don't let nobody speak to you you don't let nobody correct you you were raised without a dad and your mom did the best she could but she couldn't control you you've been running wild and God's trying to bring you into a place where somebody can talk to you a little bit amen come on you ought to embrace that you ought to receive that you ought to take that in and say God talk to me however you got to talk to me but I want out of this drug game I want out of these games I want out of this hypocrisy I want out of this sin I want out of this relationship I want And I can't get out if you don't grant me repentance and I can't get out with a bad attitude and I can't get out
Come on, let's magnify Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> God grant me a place of repentance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got to get baptized. You got to do it. I am I am being very honest with you. I I was not raised in church. And when I came to church, they kept pushing this baptism thing on me. And, you know, I didn't really get it because, you know, I just, I thought they wanted me to be a part of their church. And that is why some churches baptize people, believe it or not. They don't believe that salvation has anything to do with baptism. They believe it's just a formal ritual that we practice as Christians. That is not what the Bible says. In explicit terms, the Bible says that repentance is for The remission of sins. The Bible says that baptism does now even save us. Amen. I'm telling you, these waters right here, they save. These waters back here, they deliver. These waters back here get you free. These waters right here make you part of God's heavenly assembly. These waters back here, they do some work. These waters... somebody hey listen i'm not against it i'm I'm cool with it you know but i just baptized the man the other day has been an aa his whole life na his whole life for years on years and when we knocked on his door we brought him to church he said you know what i'm thankful for what i got but i know i'm missing something there's something that's not sticking there's a transformation and a freedom i know i don't have and after years 50 plus years of being a drug addict we took him to the backyard we don't even have a got a backyard where we baptize people we got a portable baptistry amen but let me tell you that's where heaven assembles right there that's where all the free people get together right there amen i baptized that man and after 50 long years of being a drug addict and an alcoholic he came out of that water a new man and now you can't keep him out of church you can't keep him out of church he's there on sunday we meet for bible studies on tuesday he won't He's not doing that because he's part of our church. He's doing that because he's free. You got to get the Holy Ghost. When you get the Holy Ghost, you will speak in other tongues. Listen, you're not going to... You, you, Please, let, let me just, this, this is where it gets uncomfortable for a lot of people. But let me say this. I stepped into church, and I did not believe in any of this stuff. I was a genuine skeptic at best. I just did not believe in any of this. It didn't bother me. I thought, you know, good for you, man. You know, I'm not, I don't know what you're saying over there, but good for you. I have a friend. He's he's not in church. He's a behavioral therapist. Uh, 
he, uh, he works at a very prestigious firm in San Francisco, you know, whatever. But uh, I got together with him the other day. He said, heads up. He said, my life has been changed. I was like, all right. He said, I went to a clinic the other day that radically changed me. I said, okay. He said, it was so liberating. He said, you know, I'm a really kind of just cloistered person. But, but he said, this thing was transformative. He said, like, it's really changed the way I think about everything. I said, really? He said, yes, it was very expensive. Uh, and uh, he said, but it was mandatory. Uh, I had to go for, for the clinic, you know, whatever. And uh, he said they had us do all kinds of exercises that would help us open up and, and help us, the word they used was, be more charismatic. He said in one of the exercises we had to do was stand in circles, dance around, and speak in gibberish. He said, and at one point there was even an exercise. I'm not kidding. This man knows, this man does, this man knows I'm a Christian, does not know what kind. Our relationship is strictly business. But he said, at one point we even did this one exercise where somebody spoke in gibberish and we had to interpret it. I thought, you know what, I just need to talk to him now. I said, listen, bro. I said, you don't, I said, we do that every week. I said, and we do it with educated people, uneducated people. We do it with the rich and with the poor. We do it with, and we're not just speaking in gibberish. I told him we're speaking in a language from, come on, I'm telling you. You got to quit. You got to quit playing with this stuff. This Holy Ghost stuff is real. This Holy Ghost stuff is ahead of the game. This Holy Ghost stuff is God-ordained. This speaking in tongues is in the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 2. It's in Acts chapter 8. It's in Acts chapter 10. It's in Acts chapter 19. It's all over the Bible. Jesus said... Jesus said that when you are baptized in the Spirit, amen, you will hear the sound thereof, amen, but you won't be able to tell where it comes from. That word sound that Jesus used in the Greek is phone, and it literally means language. He said when the Holy Ghost comes, you'll hear the phone, you'll hear the language, but you won't know from where it's coming. That's what everybody who is born of the Spirit is like. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. This is not my idea. This is God's idea. And guess what? You don't have to fake it. This is not just an exercise to make you more charismatic. This is how you get free, and this is how you get into the assembly of the living God. Come on, come on, come on, come on.
Assembly is required. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but I felt it last night on the plane, and I felt it as I pulled up in the parking lot. I was driving with Brother Gamboa. He said, man, the parking lot's full. I told him what I was going to preach on. He said, man, you really, you're really you going to preach on church events? I said, yes. If everyone's here, it's a great time to talk about it. And I don't know who I'm preaching to right now. And I don't know what you've been contemplating in your mind. But let this preacher tell you, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at, keep coming to church. Keep being faithful. Don't stop assembling. Don't stop coming together. Oh, come on, somebody. done Hebrews 10 23 let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not everyone say not 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 forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more see that day approaching. I have a mandate from the word of God to come here on a Sunday morning and tell you don't stop coming to church. Come on, that was, a, that was better than, that was a better statement than you might think. Don't stop coming to Let me give you a little historical backdrop on that particular verse. Scholars and theologians actually don't know why the apostle is saying these things. But there are several theories as to why he did say this. I will address four of them because I think they are very relevant and reoccurring. Number one, given the message of the entire book of Hebrews, it's very possible that some people did not want to go to weekly service because they were being persecuted. And by persecuted, I do not mean that somebody was laughing at them on Facebook. And by persecuted, I do not mean that they insisted on testifying at work even though they got fired. And by persecution, I do not mean they go around getting on everybody's nerves. By persecution, I mean they were being killed for us being found in the assembly. Because when you get people together, it's actually rather easy to kill them. I know that sounds morbid. But when they were persecuting Christians, it wasn't hard to find them. Because they weren't staying home. They were all getting together somewhere once a week. And it was easy to gather them up. And so some folks said, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm just going to stay home. Thank God for all the technology we have today. But let me tell you something. Staying home and tuning in on the app is not the same.
staying home and watching it on the internet, not the same. You are customizing Christianity to such a way that I don't even know how Christian it is. Because part of being Christian is coming here and sitting next to folk that ain't like you, that don't talk like you, that don't think like you. Coming to ch- Yeah, it's easy to be a Christian on the couch at home, but that's... Let me tell you something else. At best, you got a half-built ark, and when the floods come, sweetheart, your thing ain't going to swim. You're going to sink. This ain't... You can't afford to go through life with a half-built ark. You got to build that thing all the way. You got to get together with somebody and tell them, "Come on, you hammer this side. I'm gonna hammer that side. Help me, help me pitch this on the inside and on the." But that is kind of the that is kind of the the more acceptable reason, perhaps, why some people might be afraid of church. But the second reason is because some have made neglected gathering together weekly because they felt no interest in it. They just simply didn't think it was a big deal. I want to ask you, can you be a Christian and not go to church? If avoiding church is the goal, then the answer is no. You can be a nominal Christian... And by nominal, I mean you're just called that. But I'm not interested in being a nominal Christian. Let me tell you something about Christianity. You know, let let me say this. If you ever see somebody who's got muscles, I promise you, they went to the gym. I mean, even if they're shooting steroids, they went to the gym. No, this is facts. Right? Because when you talk about somebody who is like fit and muscular, they had to put in the performance to have the appearance. Because you cannot change the shape of your body without performance. If you want to change the appearance of your body, you have to perform an exercise. I'm not talking about just dieting to get thin. I'm talking about you see somebody that's like ripped. Somewhere they put in the work. In church, you can have appearance without performance. In church, you can look the part and not ever put in the work. It's getting quiet on me now, hallelujah. I'm not, I'm not interested in having appearance minus performance. I'm interested in having performance and appearance. I'm interested. I'm not going to disqualify one or the other. I want them both. I want to really. I want to put the work in and I want to look the part. I'm not just trying. I'm not trying to fake it till I make it. I'm trying to really be here. And when I get here, I really want to be here. I'm not here for. And if it helps you, hey, this is where I might get into some hot water. But let me say this with as much love and compassion as I possibly can. Some, some people, 
Some people wonder why their kids backslide. You want to know why a lot of kids backslide? Because the interest for church is not back at home like it should be. Because the, the, the kid sees mama waking up every day, praying on Sunday, ironing the clothes, and dad, dad is still coming out after 10, 15 years of church, asking mama, what are we doing today? And dad's not the one in the room praying with the kids before they go to bed. And dad doesn't do daily devotion. You know, there's a very controversial scripture in the Bible that a lot of people trip out when they read it. It's in the New Testament. It says, let a woman keep silent. At, let a woman keep silent in church and let her learn at home. And a lot of people think that scripture is putting women in their place. That's not what it's doing. It's actually putting men in their place. And I'll tell you why. Because in old school church, if you had a question, you could just stand up and start spitting out questions. And the Apostle Paul says, we need to have a little bit more order than this. And he's, what he's really saying is, gentlemen, you need to start reading your Bible. You need to start being the priest of your home. And if your wife and your kids got a question, you ought to be teaching about that. You ought to be opening up that word with your wife. You ought to be teaching your wife what the word says. This, this, may not, this may not settle good with everybody. And now I, I may be getting into really hot water. But you know what? I'm not interested in being the dominant voice in anybody's wife's life. I want, I want the men in our church to hear the word of God from their husbands. I want, the, I, want, I want the woman in our church to know, you know what? When I got a question, I can go to my husband. I heard him praying this morning. He's got a daily devotion. His Bible's all marked up. The thing's falling apart. It got sticky notes all in it. Hallelujah. That's the kind of man you want. Hallelujah. That's the kind of man that helps keep the kids in church. That's the kind of man that keeps the blessings going. That's the kind of man that keeps... We don't want to talk about that. We got to talk about that. You got to be the leader. Come on, somebody. Hey, and in case you don't know, Sunday school is just a supplement. Sunday school is just a supplement what we should be doing at home. Sunday school's candy. They should be eating broccoli at home. This can't be their first spiritual meal of the week. Come on. We got to stop that. We got to get something going in the house. We got to pray at home. We got to read at home. We got to worship at home. We got to sing at home. We got to bring it home. We got to bring it home. We got to have performance and appearance. Come on, help me preach. Don't leave me up here by myself. Don't leave me up here by myself. Come on. Is it am I being too hard? Is it too hard? Come on. What are we going to do? And, and I know you might think I'm being dramatic. I'm not trying to be dramatic. 
What are we going to do if the world falls to pieces? What are we going to do, amen, if, if it becomes harder and harder to assemble? Where are we going to be? What, what kind of people are we going to be, amen, if our rights are hindered? Amen, are we going to be the kind of people that are so thankful that we, devo- that we had a devotion at home? Amen, are we going to be the kind of people that are going to be able to dis- I'll tell you why some people begin to forsake the assemblings of themselves. Because they thought that it was okay to neglect it. Plain and simple. If a Christian just sits at home unwilling to join with other Christians, unwilling to pray with other people, then what is the status of that Christianity? Hear me good. Jesus said, he is the light of the world. He goes on to say, whoever follows him will not be in darkness. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and that in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, listen what it says, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. To be a Christian means to walk in the light. To walk in the light means you have fellowship with other people. Assembly required. I'm not going to go to the, into the last point I have. I'm going to say this. I got a text the other day from a young girl. Well, she's not so young. She's college age. Very frustrated. She wants to get married. She's not getting married. The right man has not showed up. The right situation has not presented itself. She's very frustrated. And she's maturing in age. And uh, there's some problems in her church. Because there's people in the church. And wherever you got people, you got problems. And anybody who tells you they don't go to church... Because of the problems and the people and the hypocrites. is a hypocrite themselves. Because there's also problems and people outside the church. People and problems is a condition. All over the globe. So to say I'm staying out of the church because there's people and problems is ludicrous. She's frustrated. She's hurt. And I was preaching just like this at her church. She said, Brother Prado. She said, I showed up that morning and I told her. She said, I went to the bank. I withdrew my tithes. I put it in the envelope. Filled it out. Put it in my purse. And went to church. 
She said, I sat on the pew. She said, and you just got to preaching down my alley. And she said, I just, I was just being stubborn. I just told myself, this man is not going to talk me out of leaving church today. And she said, God, if he's really talking to me, prove it. And I remember the service. I was preaching. I won't say her real name because we love her. She's a good friend of ours now. But I called her out of the crowd. We'll say her name's Jessica. I said, Jessica, get up here. To be honest, I even told her. I said, I don't even know why I'm telling you to get up here. I said, I just felt like God told me you need to get up here. And I just feel like God told me you need to pray. Listen, why, why am I telling that story? Because I really feel there's a Jessica here today. And you know what else I believe? I believe that there's a God so rich in mercy, so loving, so kind, that he says, you know what? Today, we have a church for Jessica. And Bob. And Tim and Steve. story time and we're done story time four points and here's your poem there was a rich man one day he was about to die but he had some things he wanted to transfer to somebody before he died and he told the, he told the town sent a message out throughout town he said I want every strapping young man who wants what I got to meet me at the lake today at noon. I got some things I want to give to others before I die. Well, everybody knew this man was wealthy. Everybody knew this man had it all. So they all showed up at the lake. He said, gentlemen, I'm going to offer you three things. Number one, you can have my actual inheritance that my wealthy father gave me. He said, there's more in there than you'll ever even have time to spend. He said, or you can have my businesses, which are functioning. They're producing all kinds of money. It's yours. You can have them. Or you can have my oldest daughter, who's not married yet. And all of a sudden... Everybody got really quiet because they wanted to hear the catch. He said, here's the catch. He said, you got to swim across the lake. The problem was that the lake was full of crocodiles and snakes and bugs and whatever else you find. And he no sooner said that and there was a splash in the water. And one of the young men just swam straight across to the other side. 
The wealthy man could not believe it. Got on his boat, went to the other side of the lake to meet the young man. He said, young man, I can't believe what you just did. Risking your life like that. He said, what do you want? You want my inheritance? The young man said, no. He said, you want my businesses, don't you? He said, no. He said, I get it. You want my daughter? He said, no. He said, well, what do you want? He said, I want the name of the guy that threw me in the lake. The moral of the story is this. We get bitter. We get angry. We get so revengeful over the things done to us that we can't even see all the blessings that are available to us. And Come on, who am I talking to? All you want is even Stephen on somebody that did you wrong. All you're doing is focusing on what went wrong in your life and the injustices and the unfairness. And all the time, God is saying, what do you want? What do you want? What is it that you want? What? Come on, let's not let anger blind us. Let's not let revenge blind us. Let's not let bitterness blind us. Let's not... Let's all stand. I want every hand lifted up here just for a few seconds. Hallelujah. As the musicians come. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, come on, come on. God's talking to somebody right now. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's pray. I really feel that there's some people here God's talking to. Oh, Jesus. this is a good time to lift your hands and just appreciate the dynamic we call church this is a good time for Jessica to say God forgive me you've never done me wrong I'm frustrated and I'm angry I'm lonely but I have you and for now that's enough a good time for someone to say you know what preacher I'm ready to get into the assembly of the saints of God I'm ready to get saved I'm ready to get free and get together hallelujah 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 He 
Hallelujah. If you want to pray, come up and pray. I really do feel like there's some people. You may just you may not want to come out in front of everybody and pray, but I feel like there's other people you may want to come up here and just celebrate the fact that you're in church. You may want to come up and just renew your appreciation and your gratitude. Nothing wrong with that. Do that. That's a good thing. I did it this morning. I wept and I cried and I thank God that he's allowed me to be a part of his church. I thought about life without God and what that was like. And I thought about what life with God has been and I was just grateful. Come on, I was just appreciative that there was a house of worship. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, if you've never received the Holy Ghost and you would like to receive it, come on up to the front. If you've been struggling with receiving the Holy Ghost, if it's been a while since you renewed the Holy Ghost, come on up to the front. We're going to pray. Hallelujah. If you know you need to get baptized, come and talk to one of the ministers. Hallelujah. We'll make room and time for that. Hallelujah. 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 If you're a young person that's been discouraged because all your siblings left church, get on up here. Hallelujah. 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 Cement your walk with God. Anchor yourself in God right now. Hallelujah. Come on, if your wife left church, if your husband left church, get on up here and anchor yourself in the church.